Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Well, and I hate to say this, but a lot of the, the, of the uh, shows that I fondly remember I have seen, like some of the early Saturday Night Lives, mm-hmm. and they're not nearly as good. <laughs> as <they laughs> That's the danger. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. <laughs> Once again, this is Lou Katz, proud to welcome you to the podcast that does its darndest to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment, and boy, are things buzzing now. We want to welcome to the podcast our regular Jen Cheney. She's from Vulture and WTOP. Hey, Jen, how's are you? Hey there. Also, we have our guest critic, Rocky Haddadi from Vajiba and Vulture. Nice to see you, Rocky. Nice to see you guys. Hello, Rocky. And our moderator, and yes, a part-time traffic cop in the DMV. You've recognized him from being pulled over many times. Here's Arch, Arch Campbell. Yes, and I'm the only moderate thing on this podcast. So here we go, and lots to talk about this week. And I like to start by asking everybody what they're recommending. So, Jen, what is your favorite thing this week? Well, I'm just going to put in another plug, not that it needs one, for WandaVision on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. which is the new Marvel show. I know everybody is maybe uh, up to their ears in Marvel content, as it were, but this is actually a really fun show. It starts out the first few episodes where uh, Wanda and Vision, two of the characters you may recognize from the Avengers films, are being placed into different sitcoms, first in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And then the fourth episode starts to get a little more marvel-y and help explain what might be going on. And it's so it's a little bit sci-fi, but it's also just really fun if you like sitcom history. I know they're going to be doing an 80s Family Ties-ish episode, and I'm very excited about that. So if you're not watching that yet, definitely catch up. I watched an episode because of you, and I think it's very creative. So uh, thanks. for You think they'll do Seinfeld for the 90s? My understanding is they're doing Roseanne for the 90s. <laughs> oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, Rocky Haddadi, we always love it when you join us. And what are you particularly uh, fond of this week? Um, well, I have been revisiting Freaks and Geeks for Vulture, um, mm-hmm. and that has been really great <laughs> to dive back into. It's crazy <laughs> to think that it's been 20 years. It makes me feel, I mean, I hate saying things like this, but it makes me feel ancient. But I have really loved getting back into that world and how effortlessly it really balanced the awkward terribleness of high school with those moments of really feeling like I have friends and I have people who understand me and I have a place that I belong long. So I have really enjoyed that. I don't know if it's made me nostalgic enough that I'm like, you know, I could do high school all over again. But for the time being, (laughs) it's been fun to go back to that place. Well, it's so neat to see that group of actors because they all went on and became uh, very uh, successful and, and, you know, uh, noteworthy. Yeah, it's crazy to see everybody together in that way, Um, especially Linda Cardellini, who I feel like is Mm -hmm. so underrated all the time. So it's really great to to dive back into how just absolutely guileless she was in that performance. So that is such fun. a great performance. I mean, she yeah, was just so good. I mean, she was a little older than yeah. some of the other yeah. um, people in the show, but she just instinctively had it from the very mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah, yeah, her and Busy Phillips are just exceptional in it. So that's been really fun. I'll be interesting if I can get a interested if I could get a response from you on uh, Kajillionaire. 
I finally picked up the movie Kajillionaire. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on Amazon Prime for $5.95. I had heard about it and heard about it and never saw it. It's Richard Jenkins, Deborah Winger, and Evan Rachel Wood, who was in the news for uh, the uh, unpleasant allegations of her and Marilyn Manson. But the film is the kind of indie thing that I think we all love. Evan Rachel Wood is the daughter of two grifters, and the schemes they go through to live in the everyday life are mind-boggling. And they meet a fourth grifter, played by Gina Rodriguez, who throws uh, everything off. And I, I was watching it by myself, and I would laugh out loud at various things that are just thrown at us. And uh, I think it was one of my favorite movies last year, Kajillionaire. Did either of you see it? I saw it. Jen, did you see it? No, I meant to, and I didn't. Yeah, it was... Rocky, you don't see No, no, no. I I really liked Kajillionaire. I, I was latching on to the last thing you said, where it, it feels like that's another one that sort of just came and went in our weird uh-huh. times, because I think they released it in theaters, exclusively in theaters, and then realized that that was very clearly the wrong method for that movie. But I really liked it. I mean, I, I normally really respond to movies that are about like class and trying to like game the system and I thought like you said there are a lot of outlandish scenarios in that one but I thought it was very smart especially in how it used Evan and Rachel Wood because at this mm-hmm. point we're yeah. used to seeing her on like Westworld where she is like a robot mastermind assassin messiah figure I don't even know how to explain <laughs> what she is on Westworld anymore but I liked seeing her in something that was simultaneously like more approachable but also takes advantage of her sort of like operating on a different plane from other people. I liked it. It was the kind of movie you wanted to uh, drop in on at the Avalon or uh, Angelica. And instead it was just thrown out into the world. And I'm sure people have forgotten about it. And I I don't think it will play a part in award season, which we are going to get to in this uh, episode. But uh, I was glad I found it and it's there online. So Jen, uh, here's the part where we ask you what's new this week the pipeline's still full it seems full enough <laughs> full enough to keep it busy. so i'll just mention three things the first one is a new film that's been talked about quite a bit that's landing on netflix it's malcolm and marie um with john mm-hmm. david washington and uh, zendaya i rocky did you see it or did either of you see it i haven't seen it yet no Okay. I haven't either. It's basically, from what I understand, a long conversation between a couple. He's a filmmaker. It's right after one of his premieres and and there's a lot of stuff oh. in there about critical reception and 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 how your work is perceived and art and things like that. And as you might imagine, a lot of critics had complicated responses to that. But anyway, that's going to be on Netflix on Friday. So if you're interested, you can check that one out. I understand I, the unspoken is spoken between a couple, that it that it's a couple who uh, dive beneath the surface and say the things that need saying. It sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've spent a lot of time this week watching Snoopy. Because there's a new Snoopy show, and it's called The Snoopy Show, that's landing on Apple TV Plus this week. And, you know, they're 22-minute episodes, but they're basically like three shorts thematically stitched together. And, you know, I'm always nervous when anyone takes a beloved old anything from my childhood and tries to make it new again. But they, I think they've done really well with the Peanuts stuff. Like the Peanuts movie from a few years ago, 
I thought was really great. And this is too, it's just really sweet, really funny, very much in the spirit of what the old peanut specials used to be, but, but something new that you can share with the kids in your lives. So that's available on Friday as well. And then the last thing, Thing I want to mention, I haven't watched yet, sorry, um, but as you may remember, the Super Bowl is on Sunday, and mm. there's always a big premiere after the Super Bowl, and this year it's The Equalizer, which uh, another show from the 80s getting remade again, but this time with Queen Latifah in the main role, which makes it somewhat intriguing to me. I haven't had a chance to, to check out the advanced screeners, but uh, for people who plan to stick around after the game and, and watch what's next, that's what's next. I understand there are no or only a very few movie ads in the Super Bowl this year. That's the rumor, yeah. The great change. Oh, yeah, because yeah. normally there are a bunch of trailer drops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, that's sort of sad. That says something, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, it is award season. The Golden Globe Awards have been announced, and the Screen Actors Guild <laughs> Awards. Rocky and, and is just shaking Jen her head already vigorously. rolling her eyes. <laughs> so bad. Rolling their eyes. So bad. Shall we discuss the Golden Globes? What do we think? Should we start with movies and then go to television? Sure. I, I, I need time, Jen. I need you to lead me in. I need some. All right. All right. All right. I need to um, ramp up. I would say on the movie side, from the from a diversity perspective, at least in the acting categories, they did better than they did on the television side. But there were still some things that were certainly baffling, like all of the best drama nominations for, for best picture. They were, none of the, like the Five Bloods wasn't in there at all. That just got completely ignored. Ma Rainey wasn't in there. One Night in Miami wasn't in there. It was all very sort of white movies, even though some of the actors from other movies were, were recognized. And then there were nominations that I just couldn't understand. Like <laughs> one that I'm still very fixated on is, is Jared Leto getting a nomination for The Little Things, a, a nothing movie and a performance that was more performative than performance. And he got a SAG Award nomination today. So I'm like, what <laughs> is happening? It's I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I tweeted this and I stand by it, but who likes Jared Leto this much? Like, this is shocking uh, to me. Like, I don't I mean, I, I did when he was on My So-Called Life, but that was like right. three years ago. Right, yeah. So I would vote for Jordan Catalano. Yeah, sure. I'd be like, you're charming and like you informed a lot of my teenage feelings. But like, I don't understand how that performance is being singled out of that movie as worthy of praise. And I feel like he is getting the spot that Paul Racy had been getting Mm -hmm. from Sound of Metal in early critics voting. So that has just been very strange to watch that like I'm very glad that Riz Ahmed has been making it in to lead actor right. that he is my favorite performance of the year but then I, I feel like they think like okay that was the only thing that made Sound of Metal work whereas Racy was very important to that as well. Mm -hmm. Golden Globes were also strange because I might be wrong here, but Delroy Lindo didn't get a nomination for *The Five Bloods*, which no, I mean that movie got nothing. Yeah, yeah. They so that was very out. strange. And then there had been sort of a controversy a few months ago when they announced that *Minari* was going to be in the best foreign language film category, which in and of itself was sort of problematic because it's very much an American movie, literally and figuratively. And then it didn't get any acting nominations at all, not for Steven Yoon or for either of its 
supporting actress contenders. So it's just been a very weird season starting off. It feels like there's a lot of recency bias for big names like Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher and their films and not a lot of stuff that came out earlier in the year. Well, speaking uh, of- Let me throw out Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy as Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> right. He and Amy Adams were nominated. Right. Or James uh, Corden for The Prom. Like that was also <laughs> a very strange and, choice. Oh, music. What is this that, movie? That's music. what I was just gonna say. When yeah. I, when when that was I was like the Madonna song. Like what is right. this? And <laughs> right. it is it is a movie that has gotten some blowback within the autistic community, and that's literally the only thing I know about it. I don't think that anyone has seen it yet, apart from apparently the Hollywood Foreign Press, assuming they watched it. Um, right. And that was just bizarre. But uh, one thing I did want to say when you mentioned Sorkin and Fincher is that I was at least heartened to see that in the director category there were three women nominated. They made up a majority. Yeah. Of them. That's not happened before at the Golden Globes. And so that was a piece of good news, I thought. And I think I'm seeing an interest in Promising Young Woman, kind of a surprising rising interest. It's showing up in various categories on small lists. And uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's Emerald Fennell was nominated and, and the movie was nominated as well. Um, I don't know what that- Harry Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, yeah. I don't know what that portends for the Oscars because the Globes aren't necessarily great predictors of that, but, you know, I, I'm glad to see it getting more attention. While we're talking movies, we may as well get into the SAG Awards. So here's the SAG motion picture cast uh, nominees, and they put the, the Five Bloods in, along with Ma Rainey and Minari. All those three are missing from the Golden Globes, plus One Night in Miami and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Speaking of Promising Young Woman, though, I am, sh well, I guess I'm just very surprised by the continued nominations for Trial of the Chicago 7, just because I really did not connect with that movie at all. But I really thought Promising Young Woman would get in there for ensemble, because I feel like they did such a good job with casting the various, right. quote unquote, nice guys of that movie. It was very, like, I think, referential to just pop culture of the last 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I would have loved to have seen that in there for ensemble over Trial of the Chicago 7. So movie-wise, with the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards, what, what are the tea leaves telling us? I mean, to me, it's, there's a push for promising young woman. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't changed my perspective that Nomadland is still, you know, one of the strong a movie no one has seen yet not yet <laughs> it, it comes out in, in wider view in a couple weeks that that to me still seems like kind of the front runner if there is such a thing mm -hmm. um, at least for best picture but what do you think rocky i tweeted this in anger earlier but i think trial of the chicago seven is going to end up being like this year's bombshell and <sighs> that it just i mean i agree but i feel like there have been so many myriad nominations for this movie and i really could see like bombshell was shocking to me when it got the number of Oscar nominations it did, but I really could see Trial of the Chicago 7 doing some upsets, which would be horrible, but I, I do, that's sort of, that's the prediction I don't want to make, but I am making. <laughs> I mean, there were things about that movie that I appreciated and liked, but it's mm -hmm. there are other films that are rise above it by a, a great degree in my mind. Right. And I feel like we're getting to that point now where we're seeing like studios decide what they're really going to put all their power behind. And it feels like that is taking all the energy that Defive Bloods had earlier this year. 
so that's just sort of disappointing because as much as I didn't fully love to five bloods I feel like it was doing something way more interesting in terms of like reassessing our our idea of a climactic American moment in a different way than Trial of Chicago 7 was. Let me bring up um, Sound of Metal, which was good to see emerging. I'm very fond of that. How about you two? I love that movie. Yeah, I thought it was great. And the Globes doesn't recognize this, but when we get to Oscar time, if that doesn't win for best sound, like I give up. Like I really right. Don't. Yeah. Like I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> done. <and> true. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's been interesting because I feel like a lot of times, you know, these movies that have like passion project, very long production periods, there is somewhat of a response to that. And I know that director Darius Martyr was trying to get that movie made for like a decade. So it's interesting to see that he has not really been included in a lot of conversations. It's really just been Riz Ahmed so far. So I hope there's more of an acknowledgement like Jen said, of just all the technical production work that was needed to get that movie made. Well, uh, let's get into television with the Golden Globes and the SAG. And uh, <laughs> Jen, that, that's especially your bailiwick and Rocky. And uh, what do you see coming out of all of these, this basket of names? <laughs> well, there are only two TV shows um, this year, right, Jen? There was only Ozark and The Crown. Think? That was it. There was only yeah. Ozark and The Crown. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> There were a lot of perplexing things on that side of it as well. I think a big one was Emily in Paris getting nominated, which, you know. <laughs> That's I Lou's favorite show. In the sense that it was fun escapism, but also maddening at the same time. But that was also kind of the fun of it in a weird way, but it is no, not award worthy at all. And that getting, you know, nominated at the expense of Insecure or Dead to Me or a lot of other shows that are much better just made no sense. But I think the, the most egregious thing that happened at the Globes yesterday was the complete erasure of I May Destroy You, which was widely considered the best show of the last year. And Michaela Cole didn't get nominated for her performance. The show didn't get nominated. The SAGs at least acknowledged her performance today, thankfully, but that makes no sense. I mean, did they lose all the screeners? Like it, what happened? I don't know. I saw some. Um, I saw some like theorizing on Twitter that somehow it wasn't eligible because it was a British show, but it aired on HBO, and then The Crown got nominated for a bunch of stuff. So I think if there was like an eligibility issue, we would have known that going in. Right. It just feels very much to me like last year, because wasn't When They See Us also totally ignored by the Globes? If I remember correctly, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so I, I just think it's one of those things where it's like, ooh, stories about Black trauma, we can't, know, we can't be part of that. So I, I don't know, it's just very disappointing and I think this is a conversation we have about the Globes all the time where it's like a couple dozen people so like how much does it quote unquote yeah. really really matter but it does sort of set the tone they for do. how the award I mean, season is going to go yeah it still, it still does that was very I, shocking I was on um, uh, I did a TV interview yesterday for the Fox affiliate in New York and the reporter who was uh, questioning me asked me like what the Globes kind of to your point is, is silly in a lot of ways and so in terms of whether or not it's diverse, does it does it really matter? And I'm like, I just think every award show should be holding itself to a higher standard um, yeah. at this point. Even even the ones where 
that exists mainly so people can get drunk still should be holding themselves to a higher standard. Right. I did notice the flight attendant came through, particularly in the uh, SAG nominations. And that uh, I recall as being one of your favorites, Jen. I do like it. I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's um, and it tries to deal with some deep subjects, maybe not as certainly not as deeply as I may destroy you does. But uh, but it's also in its way about uh, trauma and, and, and stuff like that in as much as it's also sort of a, as weird as, it's, as it sounds to call something about trauma a fun romp, it is somehow both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you both, what do we take from these television nominations? Is, is the message that uh, there's the crown and there's Ozark and there's everything else? Or what do the tea leaves tell you? I, I just can't tell <laughs> the chaos of it all to, to like read the leaves. The yeah. Humbled and like in, in disarray. Right. I think it's just, it's strange because there's so many outliers so that you sort of can't tell. Like Jen said, like Emily in Paris getting in there is just so weird that it sort of spins a lot of other stuff. And like we have seen like certain shows just take hold of awards and don't let go, right? Like Modern Family won for a very long time or like Julia Lee Dreyfus wrote one for Veep for a very long time. So I think we're sort of in that mode right now with The Crown and Ozark. And I think those things are going to dominate for a while. But really, if I May Destroy You doesn't win a bunch of Emmys, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here. Like, right. I don't know. And I also, but The Crown and, and Ozark don't always win. They're, they're always nominated. Sure. They don't always win. Um, yeah. So I don't know if they'll necessarily win, even though they've been nominated. Yeah. Well, and that's like sort of like Better Call Saul, right? Like, very loved, very critically acclaimed, gets nominated, nothing happens. Unless you're Ray Seahorn, <laughs> who never gets nominated and is the... Yeah. Maybe the, I mean, there are a lot of great things about that show, but she is one of the best things about it. And she just gets ignored every single time. Drives me insane. Yeah. So if you have a favorite that has come out of this uh, television wise, what would it be? A favorite in terms of what I would want to win or what I think. What you were just most uh, happy about and who you are really pulling for uh, something to happen good for. Uh, I don't know if I'm pulling for anybody. Jen! Oh, <laughs> I was really wow. happy to see Dead to Me get some SAG nominations. I really yeah, love I that good. show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. just to go back to our Linda Cardellini is excellent point. Like I think her and Christina Applegate are perfect on that show. And it sort of like the flight attendant walks that fine balance between being like very funny and zany and almost having like soap opera pacing while also being about trauma and abuse and sort of handling those two things with a very delicate balance. So I was really happy to see their work get acknowledged. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And I'm, you know, obviously pulling for Michaela Cole on the SAG side. I'm just trying to think about the Globes and what I want to happen there. And I don't know. Mm, for my TV to break so I don't have to watch them. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I am happy for Anya Taylor-Joy. I've been a oh, long yeah. time fan of hers for, uh, the Queen's Gambit, and I'm I'm a devotee of the Crown, and it's it's hard to say anything bad about the Crown, and I'm glad it's on television, and I'm looking forward to the next season of it. And I'm a big I'm fan really, of Ozark. I'm uh, I think if Ethan Hawke doesn't win for his performance in Good Lord Bird, another situation where what are we mm -hmm, doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, that's yeah. a very good point, yeah. He he's really stands out in that field to me. And how about movie-wise? Uh, what are you particularly happy about and pulling for? Um, I would love for Minari or Sound of Metal or One Night in Miami 
to walk away with a lot of stuff. Like Jen said, like Nomadland has really dominated and I love that movie as well. But just in terms of like the other stuff that I would like to see make a showing, that's sort of where I am. I mean, this is going to sound like a wishy-washy answer, but I would like to see just sort of a socialist attitude toward this where it's not one film <laughs> dominates, but like a number of movies. It gets the wealth gets spread around because I don't know that there's one movie that's so, so strong that it should be walking away with everything like in a year mm-hmm. like Lord of the Rings. Um, so if Nomadland won Best Picture, but like Regina King won Best Director or something like that, you know, that would be nice to see. You know, uh, Gina, and I were talking and I was telling her about Kajillionaire and it occurred to both of us that the thing that movie lacked was word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about any of these movies much. Nomadland and nobody's seen it. <laughs> right. I think Nomadland and Minari sort of suffer from that, that they had a very long lead up to release. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like we're living in such a weird time where it feels like none of this stuff has a lot of permanence just because of like the moment that we're all living through. So I think it's sort of hard. Like there's a lot of accessibility because a lot of these are available through streamer services or on demand or digital or any of that stuff. But I think the reality is like, we're not really leaving our homes and going to like work in an office and to all those places where word of mouth generates. Right. The concept of word of mouth is is a hard to define this- right now. What happened to First Cow? That's what Remember I thought that? earlier. I love First Cow. I, I Where is that? Him. Well, but I think <laughs> Kelly Reichardt movies never really get a lot of like, you know, awards, nominations to that degree. She sort of talked about that, right? Like she's still a full-time film professor because she doesn't have the sort of career where she can just quit that and go make movies. So I think she's always been one of our very underappreciated American filmmakers. Well, I think we need to give Lou Katz uh, some equal time to <laughs> defend <laughs> Emily in Paris. I, I enjoyed it. I I, I, like, I thought it was fun. I'll tell you a show that we're watching almost on a daily basis because in its four seasons long and we're not quick enough to binge it is um, Call My Agent, the French show. Everybody's watching mm. Call My Agent now, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... What's that on? Netflix now, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. It's originally BBC, I think, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one in French? Right. And normally, I don't like to watch stuff and have to read. It's too much work, (laughs) but I'm I'm enjoying the show immensely. And I have something, too, that I would like to to share. Hound Radio is doing something rather unique for uh, Valentine's Day. And we've teamed up with songwriter and pianist Jim Brickman, and we have a special promotion. Would you like to hear about it? Yes. Yeah. For Valentine's Day weekend, Hound Radio wants to fill your floppy ears and your heart with the sounds of Jim Brickman. This renowned American songwriter and pianist is hosting a virtual Share the Love Tour via YouTube February 12th, 13th, and 14th. And Hound Radio wants you to join in. Just go to houndradio.com and register to win a virtual viewing pass to the local concert at the Birchmere in Alexandria or any other location. Plus, one lucky Hound Radio listener will win the VIP Grand Prize. That's access to the live stream performance, access to an interactive Zoom meet and greet after the concert with yours truly, Yes, it's Jim Brickman, and I'll even include a copy of my brand new CD, 88, 
solo piano sessions. Remember to register now at houndradio.com. It's part of my Love by Request concert series. You're all I need, my love, my Valentine. There's only one internet radio station that has a heart this big. It's Hound Radio. Happy Valentine's Day. The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. So uh, there are several prominent people who are no longer with us, and I think we should discuss all of them. And let's start with the late Hal Holbrook. I was so sorry to read of his passing. And of course, uh, you can't imagine all the president's men without Hal Holbrook as deep throat. It was a Haldeman operation. The whole business was run by Haldeman, the money, everything. It involves the entire U.S. intelligence community, FBI, CIA, justice. It's incredible. Thoughts? You know, uh, well, with all the people we're going to talk about, this is true, that they lived very long and rich lives. And so while it's sad that they're gone. Uh, it's amazing that they continued living and working as long mm-hmm. as they did. One, one of the things I, in addition to all the president's men, and of course, Mark Twain and, and his other performances, I thought about how Holbrook and Into the Wild and how he got an Oscar nomination for that very late in his career mm-hmm. and uh, what a moving performance that was. Um, and by all accounts, I mean, I never met him. I don't know if either of you did, but everybody just seemed to have such high regard for, for who he was, you know, behind the scenes and how he conducted himself. Yeah, He came to town for uh, Mark Twain, and uh, I took him out on, the, uh, on Freedom Plaza and put the Capitol behind him. And, uh, you know, he was, he was just delightful. Rocky? I did not have the pleasure of meeting him, but I agree with Jen. I think about all the president's men in which he has such a strong sense of authority and then counter that with Into the Wild. I mean, both of those performances are just all-timers. So it's a huge loss. When I first moved to Washington, I bought a ticket to uh, Mark Twain tonight, and my ticket was in the top row of Kennedy Center. And so it was like watching your thumb perform down on stage. And it was delightful. And I always thought about that performance because that was what I could afford. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he got all the way up to me, uh, way up on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about Cecily Tyson, who uh, certainly had a, a long, I, she was married to Miles Davis. I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. When Sounder came out in 1973, that was as much as a revelation as the films we are seeing today, such as uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is another very good movie, and uh, The Five Bloods and One Night in Miami. Sounder was that of its day. Josie May, I'm fixing to go in town to see about your daddy. David Lee's in charge now. You and Earl do just like I tell you, here. Yes, Yes, Mom. David Lee, watch the fire and fix some of that coal mush for y'all, Lee. Don't go too far now looking for Sounder. Anybody comes that's a stranger asking you questions, don't say nothing here. Yeah, I was um, covering the Kennedy Center honors the year that she was honored. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I actually got a chance to talk to her directly, but the thing about her, and you can sense this from watching her on screen too, is just, she just had such an elegant and regal presence. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when she walked in a room, you're just like, oh, I better sit up straight and conduct myself properly because, you know, there's a queen in the room. 
<laughs> and <laughs> and and that's that's kind of how I, I I think of her. And and again, like yeah, a lot of people didn't even realize she was married to Miles Davis, but she had. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, how old was she? Like she was definitely in her nineties, right? Yeah. 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 Phenomenal. Like like she was still. She had just written a memoir. She had just like been promoting it on tv when when she died like it as long as she lived it also seemed kind of sudden at the same time Mm -hmm. i think something that's always interesting you know when people who are actual bona fide icons pass is the tributes that come out and how obviously heartfelt they are and it felt like Mm -hmm. learning of her passing was just a wave of so many people who only had these really beautiful profound experiences to talk about so that was really something to see like like we talked about like jen said in the very beginning like all of these all of these people lived very full lives and she really did yeah i uh, regretted her role in the help that's the only mm. thing i wish she had uh skipped and uh, let us bring up cloris leachman mm-hmm. whose career stretched back seven decades I remember going to see Kiss of Death at the AFI, and the movie begins with a young Cloris Leachman running down the road, running from something in a uh, raincoat. And and then uh, as a young guy in Texas, when the last picture show uh, came out, that that is still one of the most powerful movies in cinema, I think, thanks to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was great in that. And, And she, like you said, she kept working and she, you know, <laughs> she, she she did a lot of sometimes uh-huh. projects, but yeah. in some way, I, I kind of respect that. Just that her there's some kind of like a joie de vivre in that that she just wanted to keep working, doing whatever it was. Yeah, and kept yeah. yeah. It's sort of Cal- like what we talk about with Robert De Niro, where it's like I can't begrudge you for continuing to work. Like you've earned that. And I feel like she very much was of that mold. Guys, we want to jump in here because while we're on the subject of Cloris Leachman's passing, I actually found her singing from the 1976 stage show, The Actress. Check this out. Why one would choose this life, I've never understood. But I would not want to be anything else, even if I could. friend Count Gore hosted a screening of Young Frankenstein at the AFI and when she hit the line it was my boyfriend <laughs> the place just erupted <laughs> I just will never forget that so Jen how about throwing some flashbacks and favorites at us 
Well, I think this is going to be an easy one today. Uh, because as I mentioned earlier, the Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday, and I'm wondering what your favorite Super Bowl halftime performance is, with the caveat that there is one correct answer. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I never watch the halftime. You don't? <laughs> I what? never watch it. Never. Oh my God. Well, then Arch can't argue with the correct You've answer. Never seen a halftime show. <laughs> like, of all, just, like, ever? Never. Wow. I just hate them. I hate them. <laughs> and I hate everything about the Super Bowl. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. But the answer is so, Prince. Yeah, the answer is Prince. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Ho, 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 ho. There's no, there's no. It's not Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> you know, the issue with that is that Janet ate all of the blame. Yes. It was 100% Timberlake's fault, and it is amazing to me how much she was maligned for that, and he just got to skate free. But, you yeah. know, Prince that's rain, rain. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, amazing. And that's why I don't watch the halftime, <laughs> the halftime show. <laughs> I don't. I hate everything about the Super Bowl. I hate the ads. I hate the hype. I hate everything they do. It's To me, it's everything wrong with our society. So. And on that note, see you next week. <laughs> Actually, on that note, I thought we would wrap up this particular podcast with a song from 1985, the Super Bowl Shuffle. Does anybody remember this? <laughs> yes, the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Bears actually went on to beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl 46-10. So whoever you're rooting for, enjoy the game, and we'll catch you next week right here. We are the Bears, shuffling the crew, shuffling on down, do it for you. We're so bad, we know we're good, blowing your mind like we knew we would. You know we're just strutting for fun, strutting our stuff for everyone. We're not here to start no trouble. Well, they call me sweetness, and I like to dance. Running the ball is like making more mans. We had the goal since training camp to give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. And we're not doing this because we're greedy. The Bears are doing it to feed the needy. We didn't come here to look for trouble. We just come here to do the Super Bowl shop. This is Speedy Willie, and I'm world class. I like running, but I love to get the pass. I practice all day and dance all night. I got to get ready for the Sunday fight. Now, I'm as smooth as a chocolate swirl. I dance a little funky, so watch me, girl. There's no one here that doesn't like me. My Super Bowl shuffle will set you free. I'm Samurai Mike. I stop from cold. Part of the defense, big and bold. I've been jamming for quite a while. Doing what's right and setting the style. Give me a chance, I'll rock you good. Nobody messing in my neighborhood. I didn't come here looking for trouble. I just came to do the Super Bowl shuffle. We are the Bears, shuffling crew, shuffling on down, doing it for you. We're so bad, we know we're good, blowing your mind like a new would. You know we're just strutting for fun, strutting our stuff on everyone. We're not here to start no trouble, we're just here to do the Super Bowl shuffle. Man, when I hit the turf, I've got no plan. I just throw my body all over the field. 
I can't dance, but I can throw the pill. I motivate the cats I like to tease. I play so cool, I aim to please. That's why you all got here on the double to catch me doing the Super Bowl shuffle. A mama's boy, Otis, wanna be kind. The ladies all looking for my body and my mind. I'm flicked on the floor as I can be. But ain't no something gonna get past me. Some guys are jealous of my style and class. That's why some end up on that. I didn't come here looking for trouble. I'm just getting down to the Super Bowl shuffle. Podcasting system.